Welcome to the sermon podcast of Trinity Church PCA in Collierville, Tennessee, right outside of Memphis. For more information about our church, you can visit our website, missioncollierville.org. So I was at a gathering of pastors a couple of years ago, and one of them was sharing a story about a church member who was caring for his ailing wife. She had been sick for many years, and every day he went to the nursing home, and he made sure that she was being fed. He made sure that she was being cleaned. He made sure every single day, without fail, to make sure that she was all right. And so one day he was joining this man in the nursing home. He came to pray for his wife. He was new to the church, and he just simply asked this gentleman to share his story. And what he told this man was very interesting to him, and he shared with the rest of this group, this this meeting of pastors. He said that for a good portion of their marriage, neither his wife nor himself, they were believers. They were not believers, excuse me. And he said, we had a good marriage. We had a very wonderful marriage. And he said, many years into our relationship, into our marriage, she became a Christian. And we continued to have a good marriage. But then she became sick. And I saw firsthand the church rally around her. I saw the church come to our aid. I saw the church love her and support her and help her. And it was amazing, and it was astonishing. And through that, I became a believer in Jesus Christ myself. And he said, I will tell you that all along, when neither of us were Christians, and when she was a Christian, we had a good marriage. But when I became a believer, I began to understand and to see marriage differently. I realized that in Christ there is a purpose for marriage that I did not understand previously. This morning we're going to look at Mark chapter 10 and Jesus is going to talk about marriage and he's going to talk about divorce. And I want us to see like this man said in the nursing home so long ago in front of his ailing wife that he was serving with his whole heart, that Christian marriage is different because it has meaning and purpose in Christ. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we pray that this message this morning would open our eyes, that it would change us, Lord, that our own marriages would be encouraged and strengthened as a result, Father. Lord, that you would help us to understand the importance of how you have established things in this world. And Father, we would not shrink from the high privilege of serving each other as spouses who serve Jesus Christ. It's in His name and for His sake we pray. Amen. So I want to give you an overview of 10, 1 through 12 before I talk about a couple of main points. 
First of all, I want you to notice in verse 2 that Mark uses the word test. And if you translate this into Greek and you look at the rest of the Gospel of Mark from beginning to end, you're going to notice that this applies to, four, to two groups four times. To Satan testing Jesus and then three additional times the Pharisees testing Jesus. So you can better understand when you grasp what Mark is implying, the difficulty of this situation that Jesus is facing. He has been tested by Satan, and as we have seen throughout the Gospel of Mark, he has been tested, he is being tested by the Pharisees. They want to trick him, they want to trap him, they want to show that he is not the Son of God, that he indeed is not the Messiah, that he is a false teacher. But what do we know about Jesus? We know that He is the Son of Man, that He is the Son of God. He is our Redeemer and our Messiah. He is the Word of God. And so this means nothing to Him. He knows how to address the trickery of the Pharisees and of Satan, even regarding a difficult topic such as marriage and divorce. Now, you need to understand that the time in which Jesus lived, there was a big disagreement within Judaism regarding divorce. There was one camp that said, that insinuated that divorce could take place, that the husband could divorce his wife and not the other way around for any reason. For any reason whatsoever. There is... If you dig back into the ancient sources of the rabbis, some would have argued, as unbelievable as this sounds, that you could have gotten divorced because your wife did not cook well enough. That's how little regard they had for marriage. But there was another camp within Judaism that said divorce was not to occur, that marriage was to be taken seriously. Now, within the Gentile world at that time in which Jesus lived, both men and women could divorce. When we think about our day and age and how prevalent divorce is, oftentimes we look through the lens of history and we look back to Bible times and we, or at least I do, we tend to think they, they didn't get divorced. That's just an epidemic that affects our society in 2021. Not during the time of Jesus, but you would be wrong. Divorce was quite prevalent. Now, what the Pharisees are trying to do is they're trying to trick Jesus. And they think, they talk about, they mention what Moses has said about divorce. And that comes from Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 through 4. And they have misunderstood what Moses was trying to do when he penned those four verses in Deuteronomy. Jesus, who is the author of Scripture, addresses the Pharisees directly and tells them, you do not understand what you are talking about. Moses' words on divorce was intended to protect women. He was trying to help them to not be taken advantage of in a society when they often had no means to care for themselves. 
Here's Sinclair Ferguson, a noted theologian in our tradition. He says, rather than giving permission for divorce, they were intended to restrict the ease with which divorce took place. Moses is writing in Deuteronomy 24 to put the brakes on divorce because Moses understands the, the, the mandate that God has given about marriage in the beginning of Genesis. He knows that this is what is best for mankind, for a husband and a wife to become one flesh. And so he is trying attempting to admit the fallenness of humanity to say we need to stop and we need to think about marriage seriously and I, I, am, I want you to understand this because God has intended for man and woman to be together and to not divorce. And so I'm going to say this to the nation of Israel in order to bring your attention to the significance of marriage and to protect women who are vulnerable in this situation. It's verses three through five. Now when we look at verses six through eight, we see Jesus' words on marriage. And we see that something that's very important in our society today, that man has been created, mankind, as male and female. That is biblical and notice who's saying it Jesus he's saying that man was created male and female now our society would differ in this description but one thing that we have to understand about our society is that the world in which we live is broken and it is fallen and it is sinful, and it is rebellious. So we really shouldn't be surprised, we really shouldn't be shocked that society has a different perspective on marriage and that society has a different perspective on, perspective, excuse me, on gender identity than the people of God. We live in a broken world. They do not see, th see things according to the Word of God. They're not willing to listen to hear Jesus speak, but God has opened our hearts and He has opened our eyes according to the Holy Spirit. He has given us instruction, what I mentioned to the children earlier in the children's message. He has given us a playbook for life and He has said, this is my intention for mankind. This is, my under, this is what you should believe concerning gender identity. God created male and female. This is important instruction for us to consider when the waves of our culture are beating against the door. We look to Jesus and we look to Jesus' words and we remember what He says about marriage. We remember what He says about male and female being created in the image of God. But in looking to Jesus and to His words and as we face the difficulties of our society which seems to say something else, we also have to remember this. Jesus is loving and gracious and winsome and kind and compassionate to those who don't see things the way he does. And he's also truthful. And so 
We have to emulate Jesus as we face the world. We have to emulate Jesus as we wade out into society, clinging to the truth of God's Word. We don't go out into this world with our fist swinging. We go out into this world with the truth of God's Word and the love of Christ. People who have been radically transformed by His grace. We step out into the community that we live, the city in which we live, the world in which we live like Jesus. We also notice in these words in 6 through 8, Jesus says, so they are no longer two but one flesh. So Jesus is talking about the biblical importance of marriage and family. He understands that marriage and family is the bedrock of the world in which we reside. It is the cornerstone that brings stability to our society. Jesus understood this and he spoke these words and we should not shudder from this. We should embrace it because these are the comments of our Savior. We stand for life. We stand for marriage. We stand for the family because we understand and we realize what God's Word has to say concerning these important societal and ethical issues. Verse 12, it says, Jesus says, Back beginning with the really 11. Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. One of the things that is encouraging being in a denomination that is connectional, that being Reformed and being Presbyterian, is that I cannot walk into this place and stand in this pulpit and just say whatever I want regarding whatever I think. That we have a tradition and we have a theology and we have creeds and we have confessions and that as pastors and as elders in the church, we hold each other accountable. And one of the things that I also respect is the fact that we sometimes gather as a denomination and we say this is a very challenging moral and ethical issue. And Hunter, you don't have to go wing it. You don't, go ha- you don't have to go figure this out yourself. Trust me, you would not want me to do that. I am not that level of a theologian. I am not that level of a scholar. And so our, our denomination comes together collectively, guided by the Holy Spirit, and we write position papers on moral and ethical issues. It's the thinking of our denomination regarding issues like abortion, regarding issues like divorce. And so our denomination has written a very biblical and a very lengthy statement on marriage and divorce. And I would encourage you, if you ever want to read it, if you ever want to understand this topic better, that you can look, you can turn on the Google machine and you can find the PCA's position paper on marriage and divorce. It's very insightful. And one of the things that we have said, and I'm not going into great detail this morning, is that we should seek the promotion of marriages in the church 
but that divorce is allowable in cases of sexual immorality or abandonment. Now, there's a lot to be fleshed out there, but that is the position of our denomination according to this position paper. I would also encourage you in light of Jesus' words on male and female creating the image of God and what is swirling around us in our culture, we have also written a position paper on human sexuality and it is a valuable resource to our denomination. It's very lengthy, but if that's something that you're interested in is something that you want to understand better if you want to dig into the biblical ethics i would encourage you to also consider that human sexuality report mark 10 1 through 12 we see the family mentioned we see divorce mentioned we see marriage mentioned and as i looked at the text and as i thought about divorce and i thought about marriage my takeaway from this passage, and there's many things that you could understand from the words of Christ in this chapter. My takeaway was marriage. How do we have strong, purposeful marriages so that they don't end up in divorce, so that that doesn't become a contentious and difficult and often tragic issue? How do we reinforce our marriages? And as I thought about these different points, three things came to mind, and they're very brief. Number one, we glorify God through Christ-centered marriages. We grow in our Christ-likeness through Christian marriages. And Christ-centered marriages always point us to Jesus. Those are, those are the three things that I want us to just look at briefly this morning. First of all, to glorify God. Now, if you think, about, think back to the man in the nursing home, I think his comment was very profound. Even non-believers can have meaningful and joyful marriages. There are, there are husbands and wives across this world who don't know Christ who have good marriages. Christian marriages, this man said, have purpose in Christ. And that's what I want us to explore. And I think that is true and powerful. So when we come together as husband and wife, when we become one flesh, we have an opportunity as brothers and sisters in Christ to glorify God together. That our marriages can bring God glory. Here, Revelation 4, 11. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. God is worthy of all the glory, and when we give Him the worship that He rightly deserves, we find purpose, meaning, and joy. I've said this in the past. I've said this before. When we align ourselves with God, we find full satisfaction. And when we do that in marriage, we find full satisfaction. God has brought us together and it is an opportunity for us as husband and wife to not only glorify Him singularly, 
but to glorify Him together as one flesh. And so there are many challenges, there are many difficulties in marriage, but I do know this, and I'm in no position whatsoever to write a book on marriage. I am a sinner telling other sinners where to find grace when it comes to marriage. But I know this is true. That as you come together, and as you live together, and dwell together, and as you do life together, the issues and the problems and the struggles, as well as the goodness and the joy and the happiness, all collectively give you an opportunity to stop and to give God all the glory, to worship Him. And so the longer that I am married, the greater the opportunity is for me to worship God for all that He is doing through my spouse and through my marriage. And so that the worship that takes place of God begins in my home and in my heart and in my marriage and comes here on the Lord's Day to be further extended or accentuated. Marriage is that wonderful opportunity that God has granted His people to worship Him because as we are sharpened by our spouse, as we live together in faith, that relationship should help us to see Jesus more clearly if both spouses are following after Him. That it's like playing racquetball where two players are quickly hitting the ball back and forth. The marriage relationships presents us opportunities through our spouse to worship God and to thank Him. So it helps us. Christ-centered marriages help us to glorify God. Secondly, they help us to grow in our Christ-likeness. Galatians 5, through 23, this is the passage about the fruit of the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit working in us and growing us in our relationship with the Lord and changing us. And when that happens, Paul says that what is going to, the end result is going to be love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And so... In the marriage union, as believers in Christ, we have purpose. We have meaning that is eternal. We have purpose and meaning that is tied to the kingdom of God. And so every day when my feet hit the ground, and honestly, I fell at this most days. I'm just going to shoot straight with you on this. Most days I fell at this. But every day gives me the opportunity to serve and to love my wife in a Christ-like fashion. To be at peace with her, to love her, to be patient with her, to be kind to her, to be good to her, to be faithful to her, to embody self-control within the confines of our marriage. This relationship that we have, the Lord is looking to me and He's saying, here's your opportunity to serve her. Here's your opportunity to love the closest neighbor to you. Here is your opportunity to grow in 
in your faithfulness towards Christ by exhibiting Christ to her every single day. The Lord is using my marriage in order to stretch me and strengthen me and grow me and ground me and fashion me. That is the blessing of marriage that it produces a Christ-like attitude within us. God knows us well. He knows that for many of us, this is what we need. That this is important to our sanctification. That it is central to our walk with the Lord. And then lastly, marriage points us to Jesus. Marriage points us to the bride of Christ. When we think about marriage and we think about the teachings of Scripture, we realize that Jesus is the groom and the church is the bride. And we have the opportunity to realize our unfaithfulness and our sin and how the church is unfaithful and the church is sinful. But Jesus loves us and Jesus loves the church. And that He's drawing us to Himself. And that He's drawing the church unto Himself. And there will come a day when He makes us perfect. And there will come a day when He makes the church perfect. Here, Revelation 16, 6-9. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty pearls of thunder crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. That when we look to Christ in our marriages, we understand that He is perfect and we are not. And that He is taking a sinful and broken husband and He is taking a sinful and broken wife and He is working on us. He is sanctifying us. He is pouring out His grace into us. He is shaping us like a potter. And one day at the marriage supper of the Lamb, husband and wife will stand before Jesus and we will be made perfect. And the church, God's people, those He has called and placed His love upon, at that day, at that moment, the church, as it enters into the kingdom of God, will be made perfect. And we will stand before King Jesus and we will realize that in this life and in the life to come, He is everything. And so that as we deal with each other in marriage as sinful people who are united in Christ, it should remind us not only is He saving us and redeeming us and making us perfect, but the bigger picture is 
as the groom, He is saving and redeeming and making perfect the church that He will draw unto Himself for all eternity and we will dine with Him forever. And so well, that's, that's why He gives us this table. Because this table is reminding us of the banquet table that is coming. A banquet table whereby in Christ, husbands and wives who were once sinners, who were often at conflict with each other, will now sit before Jesus, the Redeemer, the Messiah, the Messiah, the perfecter of our faith, and we will have been set free. And at that moment, when we dine at that table forevermore, we will dwell in His presence forever, perfectly experiencing the tremendous nature of His perfecting grace. It's all leading to that table. It's all leading to that perfect wedding day where the church and the engagement is over and Jesus takes His bride in all her perfection in all her glory. And so we come to this table this day as husband and wives. We come to this day as sinners. And this table is reminding us that Jesus has turned everything around. And that Jesus will make everything perfect. And so this table is for all of God's people. Those who are married, those who are not. Because this table is where Jesus says to us, my grace is sufficient for you. And I don't know, I don't know about you this morning, but I need to be reminded of His grace. I need to be reminded of His love. I need to be reminded of how He is making everything right. This is the table that is set before you this morning. I will tell you that the bread is gluten-free, the wine is on the outer ring, the juice is on the inner ring. If you are not partaking of the Lord's Supper, I would encourage you to read the prayer that is in your bulletin. But this table is not a Presbyterian table. This table is for anyone who has been baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. For anyone who belongs to Jesus. In a moment, I'm going to pray. And when I'm finished praying, you can come forward to partake of the table. Come whenever you feel led. Take time to pray. Come before Jesus. Open up your hearts to Him. When you feel led to come, then you may come forward. Take the elements, both the wine and the bread, and return to your seat and wait for further instructions. But before I pray, I want you to hear from 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-three through 26. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when He was betrayed took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, He also took the cup after supper, saying, 
This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to come to this table and to partake of these elements. And Lord, we pray that it would strengthen our souls, that Father, through this, you would encourage us, that you would help us to better understand the table that is going to be set in all eternity for us. Father, help us to realize the significance of the marriage supper of the Lamb. Help us to realize all that Jesus is doing for his church and how one day he will perfect the church for your glory. God, we long for this day and we pray that these elements would strengthen us along the journey that is the Christian life. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.